You're listening to American Songcatcher, tracing the roots of American music from its cultured past to today's artists playing it forward. I'm folk musician Nicholas Edward Williams. Before America had a history, the Mississippi River has been a constant, stoic presence. The river's tributaries made possible a lush, fertile landscape that stretches 2,340 miles, giving birth to the last Native American indigenous civilization and providing a trade network between towns, cities, and societies for centuries. With the invention of the steamboat, many fortunes were made on the Mississippi River, inspiring stories of prosperity and awe, as well as tales of bondage, death, and loss. In addition to people and cargo being transplanted down the river, the Mississippi is responsible for carrying innumerable work songs, slave spirituals, and murder ballads up and down river. Many have spent their lives preserving the essence and legacy of the Mississippi by sharing old stories and adding new ones including playwright Tennessee Williams, authors Mark Twain and William Faulkner, and the unofficial father of newgrass music, John Hartford. To many, John Hartford was a musician, songwriter, and a television personality. To those who knew him best, he was also a devoted riverboat pilot, song collector, folklorist, and music historian who loved searching out the origins of a song to better appreciate its roots. Dubbed the rock and roll Mark Twain by bluegrass musician Marty Stewart and a quote, hippie, eclectic Southern riverboat intellectual, John Cowan Hartford was born in New York City on December 30th, 1937. Soon after his birth, the Hartford family relocated to St. Louis, Missouri, where John would spend his childhood along the banks of the Mississippi and Missouri rivers.
confluence of two interests occurred around age 10 for John. He developed a love for the river and the stories that it held, particularly when his fifth grade teacher had a wheel and pilot house installed on the school grounds. Also, like many during this era, John's family relished the opportunity to listen to the pastoral music of the Grand Old Opry radio. John later said, quote, My first choice of profession was to be a riverboat pilot, but then I heard Earl Scruggs, and it snapped the bow. The program on the Grand Old Opry will be Little Maggie. Bill and Earl will do it. Earl Scruggs' three-finger banjo-style playing had a profound effect on John, just as it has on banjo players before and after him. Other legendary musicians that heavily influenced John early on include the father of bluegrass, Bill Monroe, who we covered in season two, banjoist David Stringbean Aikman, and most notably, fiddler Benny Martin. Growing up with parents who loved to square dance, by 13, John was already adept at fiddle and soon added banjo, guitar, and mandolin, performing old-time tunes at barn dances in the St. Louis area. In June of 1953, at 15, John went to a Flatten Scruggs concert at Chain of Rocks Amusement Park in St. Louis that featured Benny Martin on the fiddle. And soon after, he took a mentorship with a local legend named Gene Goforth, who helped John to sound more like Benny Martin on fiddle. Around this time, John and a friend started making regular bus trips from St. Louis to Nashville, a 14-hour round-trip journey. In Music City, they'd attend the Friday Night Frolic, a spin-off of the Grand Old Opry radio show. On Saturdays, they'd go to the historic Ernest Tubb record store on Broadway, hit the 6 o'clock pre-Opry show at WSM, then the Grand Old Opry from 7.30 until midnight, and then back to the Ernest Tubb record store for the Midnight Jamboree. From the Ernest Tubb Record Shop, 417 Broadway, Nashville, Tennessee, it's the Ernest Tubb Midnight Jamboree! I'm walking the floor over you I can't sleep a wink, that is true In high school, at 16, John got a riverboat deckhand job in St. Louis. A year later, John found himself playing banjo for the Missouri Ridge Runners and gaining significant airtime on St. Louis radio. A few years later in his early 20s, he'd play fiddle with the Dixie Ramblers, a group that consisted of brothers Doug and Rodney Dillard, who would go on to enter the Bluegrass Hall of Fame themselves with their family band, the Dillards, prominently featured on the Andy Griffith Show. Soon after, John became the banjo player for another Missouri-based bluegrass band, the Ozark Mountain Trio, who had their own local television show and afforded John's first time recording on an album. Corina, Corina, 
After high school, John enrolled at Washington University in St. Louis for four years before dropping out to focus on music, though he eventually earned a bachelor's degree in fine arts in 1960. During his late 20s, John worked for a time as a commercial artist and signed painter, as well as a radio DJ and record promoter, traveling between Missouri and Illinois, finding as many bluegrass and old-time groups as he could to sit in with along the way. Nineteen sixty-five was a defining year for John. Thirteen years after he and his friend would venture into Nashville as eager teenagers hungry for bluegrass music, John, now married with a daughter, relocated to Nashville for a DJ gig on WSIX. From the showplace and sound, WSIX in Nashville. Soon after moving to Nashville, John was being recognized for his songwriting and signed a contract with Glazer Brothers Music, owned by the bluegrass group of the same name. He also caught the attention of fingerstyle guitarist Chet Atkins, who was a producer for RCA Victor. Talent scouts at Victor were on the lookout for crossover artists, and John Hartford's unique interpretation of bluegrass and old-time music struck a chord with label executives, so he also signed a recording contract. Quote, RCA signed me because they thought I could be their Bob Dylan, John recalled, but I mostly just sat on a stool and sang my weird songs. I was really being into a singer-songwriter in those days, so I mostly sang these long, introspective songs that I wrote. The midgets are running. Their horns are on fire. The women are screaming and clutching the wire. The tears of the flesh of the hands of the rich who plead with the guard for relief from the itch. But in heaven, they are not itching. During his early years at RCA Victor, John began to develop his own unique signature style of performing shows where he would sing tell stories, and play the fiddle or banjo to a captive audience, often all at once. If that wasn't enough, he'd add some clogging and his own style of shuffle tap dancing on an amplified piece of plywood. Two years into his contract with RCA Victor, John released his debut album, John Hartford Looks at Life, in January 1967. Six months later, he released his sophomore album, Earth Words and Music, which contained his most commercially successful original work, a song called Gentle on My Mind. It's 
The Glazers had actually pitched the song to Johnny Cash, who was not interested, and so John released it himself. Most country songs could be memorized after a few spins, but Gentle On My Mind could not, so it stalled at number 60 on the country charts. However, out in Los Angeles, it caught the attention of an up-and-coming musician at the time, Glenn Campbell, who recorded and released a cover of the song just one month after John had released it. It's not clinging to the rocks that Are something that somebody said because they thought we fit together walking. It's just knowing that the world will not be cursing or forgiving when I walk along some railroad track and find that you're moving on the back roads by the rivers of my memory, and for hours you're just gentle on my mind. John would often joke that Gentle On My Mind was the song that bought his freedom. It was an immediate hit, and it helped Glenn Campbell cross over into the pop music market, and also helped John put down roots in the country and folk markets. The song was nominated for six Grammy Awards in 1968, and would go on to win four of them, with John receiving two for Best Country and Western Song and Best Folk Performance, and Glenn winning two awards for Best Male Country and Western Vocal Performance and best country and western recording. That success led John to land segments as a recurring musical guest on the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, and a spin-off show was created called the Glenn Campbell Good Time Hour, and John was thrusted into the national spotlight. From then on, the two were intertwined in music history, sharing a lifetime of friendship. Getting a ton of mail on the show, yeah. and everybody says, I want to hear John play banjo, you know. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to sing and play banjo right now. Shall we do it, John? Give me that wild intro. Yeah. yeah. Well, I popped down in my easy chair and turned on channel two. A bad gun slinger named Salt and Sam was chasing four sweet suit. He trapped her in the old saw bill and said with an evil laugh, If you don't give me the deed to your ranch, I'm going to saw you all in half. And then he grabbed her. Then what'd he do? He tied her up. What'd he do then? He turned on the bus though. He did? Yeah. And then? And uh-uh. then? And then along came Joan. Following Joan. Slow walking Joan. Slow talking Joan. Along came Long Lake Joan. For a brief time, John was hired as a writer for the Smothers Brothers alongside fellow banjo player Steve Martin, who was then relatively unknown as an actor. John also made appearances as a musical guest on Hee Haw, The Johnny Cash Show, Playboy After Dark, and several other primetime and late-night television shows. However, despite the opportunities that life in Hollywood presented, John was not entirely comfortable in his role. He felt comedy writing was a disruption to his creative drive. By the late 1960s, 
A period of intense change came for John. The lifestyle of a successful musician led to habits that put a strain on his family. And after many affairs and years of recreational drug use, John's wife, Betty, filed for divorce in January of 1970 and moved back to Nashville with their two children. American Songcatcher is now in its third season as a completely independent program. While this podcast will remain free, we rely on your support as listeners to fund the creation of this show. If you've learned something new, gotten a welcomed escape from life, or felt entertained or moved by what you heard on this podcast, please do consider making a small donation or monthly contribution and be a part of our Patreon community. It makes a big difference for us. To support educational programming, please visit the links in the show notes. Also, business owners listening to this podcast, if you're interested in advertising or sponsoring this program, please send an email to americansongcatcherpodcast at gmail.com. That's americansongcatcherpodcast at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. And the damn near didn't come back again. I didn't go very fast on a steam-powered airplane. Oh, the wheel went around and up and down and inside and then back again. Sitting in a 747 just watching them clouds roll by. Can't tell if it's sunshine or if it's rain. Hey, hey. Rather be sitting in a deck chair high up over Kansas City on a genuine, old-fashioned, authentic steam-powered airplane. When his wife left with their kids. John soon decided to leave L.A. and move back to Nashville, too. After releasing a staggering six albums in four years with RCA Victor, he signed a deal with Warner Brothers upon his return. His first album with them was titled Aeroplane, and it came out in 1971. The instrumentation featured titans, such as fiddle player Vassar Clemens, dobro player Tut Taylor, guitarist Norman Blake, and bassist Randy Scruggs. The end product has been widely considered his most influential work and has been lauded by music historians as playing a significant role in the creation of the new grass genre, an independent style of bluegrass music that blends elements of folk, old time, and rock and roll, breaking away from traditional patterns in bluegrass. Sam Bush of the New Grass Revival once said, 
Without John Hartford and the Aeroplane album, there would be no new grass music. John Carter Cash, son of June Carter and Johnny Cash, said, quote, Aeroplane changed my life. It's so avant-garde and different. There are no rules on that album. Newgrass music continued to grow in popularity throughout the 1970s, as more and more artists followed John's lead in taking a more free-flowing, progressive approach to bluegrass. Watching the river go by, watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. Watching the river go by, watching the river go by, watching the river go by in the evening. After eight albums released in just six years, John took some time off from performing and recording to reconnect with his first love, the river, between 1972 and 1975. In a late 1970s interview, John said, I was away from the river for a while, but I realized I had to have some river in my life to keep my head straight. This boat that I'm on, the Twilight, is probably, I would say, the fastest boat on the Mississippi River system. It has the, certainly the finest uh, model hull of any boat on the Mississippi River system. But for that reason, though, uh, she runs like a scared rabbit and deep water, but for that reason, sometimes when the water shallows out a little bit, she's a little bit hard to steer, so you really have to, you have to watch her because she's so sensitive, she'll take off on you, but the trade-off is that she's probably the fastest boat I've ever been on. This is a song about the Julia Bell swing. Swain is a mighty fine boat, got a mighty fine captain too. Got a big red wheel that goes around and around and a bunch of old hippies for a crew. Well, in 1973, John spent his summer working on the riverboat, the Julia Bell Swain, based out of Peoria, Illinois. Friend and bassist Mike Bubb said that, quote, John knew the sound of every boat whistle at the Hall Stacks River Festival in Cincinnati, Ohio, as each captain had a uniquely pitched whistle for their riverboat. John's return to the river allowed him to reevaluate his life and the decisions that he'd made. He never really craved the limelight that he found himself in, that what he wanted most out of life was to pass along the traditions that were so dear to him. One friend said, quote, I remember John's wife saying that he wanted nothing more than to be an old man, to espouse his knowledge and wisdom onto a whole new generation, because he had been there and seen it all.
nobody knows what you do You're all alone, it's just you You're on your own, it's just you Nobody knows what you do After four years on the river, John's head was clear from the noise of show business that had clouded him for almost a decade prior. In 1976, he began recording for the newly formed Chicago-based label Flying Fish Records, which gave John the space to continue experimenting with his sound. The result was two albums, Nobody Knows What You Do and Mark Twang, which won a Grammy in 1976 for Best Ethnic or Traditional Folk Recording. Heavily featured on the album were songs about life on the river. Well, a dream of a girl and a stern wheel steamboat, a pilot house stove and engine room brass, a hanging on the post by the main deck stair with a long hair skipping in the Mississippi. Oh, the river run wide, run deeper, run muddy, oh, the river run long after I am gone with a steamboat wheeling on a big wide bed just skipping in the Mississippi. Between 1976 and 1984, John recorded eight albums with Flying Fish Records collaborating with an array of bluegrass and country music artists, such as Sam Bush, Doug and Rodney Dillard of the Dillards, Benny Martin, David Grisman, Jerry Garcia, Marty Stewart, and many others. In 1981, however, John was diagnosed with non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, a form of cancer affecting the immune system. Although his condition was successfully treated initially, the cancer would plague John Hartford for the next 20 years, coming back over and over. Despite this setback, John didn't let his condition get in the way. In the same year he was diagnosed, he released two albums, You and Me at Home and Catalog. I'll pick up some of these empties here just as soon as we know where they lay. Jolly and leaving line on a long hot summer day. For every day I'm working on the Illinois River, get a half a day off with pay. Oh, talk about making up barges on a long hot summer day. The 1980s were busy years for John. He was gigging 150 to 200 dates per year as a solo artist, often accompanied by his wife Marie and two drivers. A John Hartford live performance up to this point was unique. Just John, telling stories, playing fiddle and banjo, singing, yodeling, and doing his own style of dance, tapping and sliding. After the diagnosis, however, those closest to him could see a difference. John Carter Cash said, quote, He was definitely still in character, but you could tell he didn't feel well. He didn't get out of his chair while performing. Still, dealing with his slowly withering abilities, in the 90s, John expanded his career, continuing to tour and record and embarking on new endeavors, such as adding music and narration to Ken Burns' 1990 landmark documentary series, The Civil War, on PBS. Dear Martha, I want to see you and Jimmy the worst I ever did as long as I can make out to get anything at all to eat. And I've really suffered for lack of bread, but we are getting along better now. Martha, take care of yourself and Jimmy the best you can. I am yours until death. A year later, he wrote and hosted a special for the Nashville Network called Fiddles, Banjos, Riverboats, subsequently released as a home video. Then, as if that wasn't enough, 
he started his own record label, Small Dog Abarkin Records, in 1991. It's been ten long years since I left my home In the hollow where I was born Where the cool fall lights makes the wood smoke rise And a fox hunter blows his horn John released five albums on the label before signing with Rounder Records an independent record label with a reputation for promoting and supporting Roots music and artists outside of the mainstream. In 1999, he teamed up with folk musician and folklorist Mike Seeger and mandolinist David Grisman to record an album called Retro Grass, which received a Grammy nomination in 2000 for Best Traditional Folk Album. That same year, John Hartford was asked to be a part of a project that brought his career full circle, the making of the Coen Brothers' iconic film Oh, brother, where art thou? George? Well, boss! Well, these little men finally caught up with the criminal of the century. Looks like the chair for George Nelson. Yup! Gonna electrify me! I'm gonna go off like a Roman candle! The soundtrack, which John was an advisor to and a performer on, is considered a linchpin in the modern revival of bluegrass and old-time music that's been happening ever since. The soundtrack helped capture the essence of life in Mississippi during the Great Depression, featuring old primitive Baptist-style singing, African-American spirituals, Mississippi Delta blues, and traditional Appalachian string music. John contributed a fiddle tune that was commonly found in the Ozark Mountains and the Mississippi River region called Indian War Hoop, which you're hearing now, and a haunting fiddle version of an old hymn turned ballad called Man of Constant Sorrow. The film sparked an almost overnight wave of renewed interest in traditional American music. However, during this wave, the cancer was taking a drastic toll on John Hertford's health. Mandolinist Ronnie McCurry recalled that, quote, the saddest part is that he couldn't play. He couldn't move his hands. I remember being in a circle, picking with him, or actually picking for him. He'd say, you do this song for me. He just wanted to hear music. We all knew that it wouldn't be too long then. Six months after the release of Oh Brother Where Art Thou, John Hartford passed away after a 20-year battle with cancer.
Originally, I worked on the river before I ever got into music, and it was something that I, once it gets in your blood, you can't get rid of it. So I, it was something I had to get back to, just for my own spiritual satisfaction. And you're still doing it? Yes. What does it bring to you? Uh, it just brings me a lot of enjoyment. It brings me things that I can't describe in words, and I try to describe in music. Really? Sometimes not very well, but I try to do the best I can with what little I've got. I hope it comes out for the best. Do you think Knowing full well it's going to come out exactly the way it's supposed to, and a damn thing I can do about it. <laughs> Sorry about that. John Hartford spent 40 years of his life preserving the legacy of song, of riverboat culture, the American South, and of bluegrass music itself. A storyteller by nature, a musician by trade, and a riverboat captain at heart, John has been called the inadvertent shepherd of roots music. From the outset of his career, he paved the way for generations of new grass musicians to expand the boundaries of bluegrass and old-time music, including artists such as Newgrass Revival, J.D. Crow, Tony Rice, Nickel Creek, Green Sky Bluegrass, Yonder Mountain String Band, Billy Strings, and countless others. To say happy birthday, John Hartford. decades after his passing, the bluegrass and newgrass communities still honor his legacy by playing his songs and sharing how inspirational he was. The John Hartford Memorial Festival is held every year in Springfield, Indiana, and his star on the St. Louis Walk of Fame can be seen today in downtown St. Louis. In 2018, a book titled John Hartford's Mammoth Collection of Fiddle Tunes was published which featured transcriptions and illustrations from John's personal library, compiled by his daughter, Katie, in the years since his passing. The accompanying album to the collection, John Hartford's Fiddle Tune Project, Volume 1, was nominated for a Grammy in 2021. The following year, mandolinist Sam Bush, who was mentored by John and considered him his hero as well as his very good friend, collaborated with Smithsonian Folkways to release a heartfelt tribute album called Radio John, Songs of John Hartford, 
which has been nominated for Grammy consideration in February of 2024. Started out working in the summertime on the docks of the Mississippi Valley Bars Line. Stoking tow boats on those long high days, getting half days off, sometimes with pain. He came a steamboat captain, he wrote the songs to Mark Twain, We're rolling down the river to New Orleans. Oh, I can hear something coming up around the bend. The Julia Bell Swain was gleaming and steaming on me. And it's Radio John standing at the helm with a wave and a smile and some yards to tell. John Hartford was unique. He saved the keys of more than 1,500 hotel rooms that he stayed at over his career. He had one of his fiddles in pieces on a shelf in his library. For years, he would host three to four day all out legendary jams at his house in Nashville around Christmas time and recorded every jam session that he had. An archive of some of his personal belongings is still underway at MTSU in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. He's been called a natural son of Mark Twain and wrote a children's book titled Steamboat in a Cornfield based on the true story of an Ohio River steamboat called the Virginia that ended up stuck in a cornfield around 1910. He's been inducted into the Folk Alliance International Hall of Fame, the Americana Music Hall of Fame, and the Bluegrass Hall of Fame. He never set out to create a legacy or pave the way and in turn foster so many musicians who would continue reinventing American roots music. He never even considered himself a great instrumentalist. Regardless, John Hartford left a mark that will echo in the canyons of roots music history for all of time. Gumtree Canoe. On the Tom Big B River, so bright I was born in a hut made of husks of the tall yellow corn. And there I first spied my Julius so true And I rode her about in my gum tree canoe Sing away, roll o'er the waters so blue Like a feather will float in our gum tree canoe Sing and roll away, roll o'er the waters so blue Like a feather will float in our gum tree canoe soft cotton I'd hold and I'd think of my Julia and sing as a go then to catch her a bird with a wing of true blue and at night sail around in my gum tree canoe sing and roll away roll o'er the waters so blue like a feather will float in our gum tree canoe sing and roll 
way roar the waters so blue like a feather will float in our gum tree canoe Say a man is made out of mud. A poor man's made out of muscle and blood. Muscle and blood and skin and bones. A mind that's weak and a back that's strong. You load six. And that's all for episode one of season three. Huge thanks to Ryan Eastridge for the incredible volunteer writing on this piece. To support this program, join our Patreon community or send a one time donation at the links in the show notes. You can find American Songcatcher on Instagram, at American Songcatcher. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please make a rating and review. It helps us out a lot. Thank you again to our community on Patreon for your continued support of this independent program. Our intro song is Payday by Mississippi John Hurt from the Today Album. The outro song is 16 Tons, performed by Tennessee Ernie Ford, originally written by Merle Travis. This episode was produced, edited, recorded, and distributed by myself, Nicholas Edward Williams, with writing and research by Ryan Eastridge. In the words of John Hartford, the whole universe is based on rhythms. Everything happens in circles, in spirals. Here's to the songs of old. May they live on forever. See you next time on American Songcatcher. St. Peter, don't you call me cause I can't go. I owe my soul to the company store.